Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 128. Welcome to the Secrets of Real Estate Investing Show, where you'll learn powerful strategies from top experts to take your investments to the next level. Here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Well, hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. Today we have with us a young lady from Phoenix, Arizona, Anne Amagrande, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear her real estate investing path and journey and story and how it really evolved and changed over time. So with that, welcome to the show, Anne. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, thanks for sharing your time with us today. Why don't you give our listeners a background about yourself and how you got into real estate investing? Absolutely. So, I mean, this actually really started um, when I was about Oh my gosh, seven or eight. And uh, my grandmother was one of the largest real estate agents in Southern California. And she in one year did over 300 REOs. So that was kind of her claim to fame. And it, I mean, she was wonderful. So at the age of seven, we would actually go in as the grandkids. And this was more or less one of our first jobs is we would go in and clean out the REOs. And we would go out and vacuum and we would, you know, wash the windows and we would do all kinds of things to get these homes ready to be put back on the market. So that was really my first, uh, my first introduction into real estate. You know, little did we know that here I would be sitting here with a, you know, with a private equity firm investing primarily in real estate. So um, that was definitely my first, my first venture into real estate. Um, you know, I went off and um, I worked for a large retailer for many years and I ran uh, the inbound logistics for a major retailer in Southern California. And uh, while I was there, I just realized that there had to be more. And I started flipping homes here in Phoenix, um, you know, for, for a little over a little over two years before we actually ended up moving out here full time and kind of transitioning and kind of molding the company to what it is today, which is really where we help investors and, you know, institutional funds to invest in real estate for long-term wealth generation and for long-term cash flow. Great. So... Tell me about that trans transitory time when you had your day job and you were flipping and yet you're working in Southern California, but flipping in Phoenix. Yes. Did you actually go to Phoenix or did you do it remotely or how did that work? I absolutely did. So I'm very much a hands-on individual and I've always been this way. So I was working, you know, I was in management. I was a salary position. So I was working about 80 or so hours a week and yeah, my, uh, my partner and I were both living in, in uh, Southern California. So when I would get off work, he'd come over and he'd pick me up and I would sleep in the car and we would drive to Phoenix and I'd wake up, we'd have our coffee, we'd start flipping these homes and, you know, managing it boots on the ground. And then, you know, we sat here for a few days and then I, we would jump back in the car and sleep on the way back out to California and go back to my job. And we did that for almost a year before I actually, um, realized, you know, hey, this is taking off and we really want to do this full time. So I ended up leaving, leaving um, that company and moved to Phoenix. And then we continued to do that. And then it slowly just evolved as time went on because we realized that, you know, or I, I realized that I wanted there to be more. There had to be more. We, we could help more people. And so we started evolving and changing the model to allow us to, number one, create cash flow. And number two, to help our investors and also our residents. And so it's kind of evolved since then. Awesome. Well, why don't you tell us about your first deal? 
Oh my gosh. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite deals. So this was, um, I'm going to talk more to what, what we've done in our private equity firm. So as I mentioned before, we used to flip, but that's not really what we do now. Um, my very first deal was one that I bought while I was in France. So I bought it over the phone. Wow. So we were, yeah. So at the time, uh, my boyfriend and I were visiting his family in France and we had a property that we'd been trying to acquire um, off market for over a month. And we, you know, had this vacation scheduled for many months. And so we um, weren't able to acquire it. It actually went to auction. And because I had already been inside the house, I already knew all of the, all of the things that needed to be done. We actually bid on it while I was in France. So I was up in the middle of the night with the, with the auctioneer on the, on the phone and, he, you know, we kept bidding on the, on the, on the house. So it was definitely a very exciting time. That was the first one that I had ever bought at auction. That was the first, um, first property that I really had ever bought within our private equity side of our business. So it was definitely one of the, one of the more fun properties that we've been able to acquire. So where was it located? Uh, so this one is actually on the west side of Phoenix. Okay. And so it's a um, slightly, it's more of a blue collar neighborhood. So this is really our bread and butter is focusing on those, on those blue collar neighborhoods. And do you remember the, the pr price you bought it for? And then do you still own it or did you flip yes. it? Or? Nope. We still own the property. We bought it for $104,750, I believe. Wow. Yeah. And then what were the rents that you at the time projected on it? Uh, so that one, we started out at eleven ninety five. Um, as far as the rents are, and they're currently at a little over thirteen hundred. Okay, so it met that one percent rule that many people yes. shoot for because yeah. your one percent of your purchase price would have been a thousand forty, I guess, and you had eleven hundred a month in rent. So great yeah. job on that. Those are the one percent rule does not work in Southern California most places. No, no, it definitely not. Kind of yeah. did a long time ago, maybe <laughs> seven years ago or so. I, I picked up some that worked that way, but not yeah. anymore. No. So, well, that's exciting. Did it have a lot of rehab needed or? Nope. Um, I think the total amount that we rehabbed was probably about 1500 Oh, um, nice. Yeah. So we, we actually are very, very effective at finding properties that need those, that low, that low bar of rehab. So what I call it is renovation. So renovation is what you do when you go and you're trying to flip the home, right? Yeah. Renovation is, you know, what I really call the core four. So you have the roof, the AC, the electrical and the plumbing, and these are going to be the four most expensive items in the house to fix. Number one, and this is also kind of leading into, you know, why we do a lease option model versus a straight rental, right? So lease option, we're allowing the residents to move in and they're allowed to modify the home from a cosmetic standpoint. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that the bones are good. I'm going to make sure that your roof is good. We're going to make sure the AC is good. We're going to make sure that there's no electrical fires. We're going to make sure that your plumbing works. We're going to make sure that all of that core, because we shouldn't be passing off that, those types of improvements, more of the capital improvements to the resident. But if you want your kitchen to be yellow, I'm not gonna stand in the way of you painting your kitchen the, the color that you want it to be, because this is your home. And I want you to stay as long as possible. So why not make it your own? And so as they start to make these changes and these cosmetic repairs, they feel a sense of ownership. And so they end up staying longer than traditional renters. And then when we are providing them the option at the end to be able to purchase this home, they, they stay and they pay because they know that at the end, they're like, I'm going to be able to purchase this home. 
And so there's a psychological effect that happens between having a tenant and having a resident. And so we give them the dignity of calling them residents because they're actually eventually going to be this homeowner. Nice. Yeah, yeah. that's definitely a difference. My tenants are tenants. Yes. <laughs> One of them thinks they can buy the home. So I'm going to see if I can sell them the home. But um, yeah. most of the time, it's just a different person, different qualifications, different mentality. Why don't you tell us about, um, did you, so you started out flipping and then you transitioned. So right. how many flips would you say you did approximately before you kind of switched your way of thinking like, oh, maybe we should do this differently? I realized about halfway through our second one because um, my background is in economics and I realized that, you know, about halfway through a second one, the first one was on the market and, you know, we're, we're sitting here rehabbing this house. I'm like, man, I would really love to just keep that house. Why aren't we keeping that house? Because it's going to be worth so much more, not necessarily now or in a couple of months from now, but after the downturn and then we'll go back up into the next, into the next peak, I could be getting rental income. I could be, you know, solidifying and stabilizing our cash flow through this entire time. Why are we not doing this? And so that's when we realized that also, you know, you, you start getting into um, a lot of what, what many flippers have to deal with, which is how do I know that someone's going to like the improvements that I did? Right. So then we start getting into, well, everybody then starts to do the, the grays and the, you know, the, the very neutral tones. Well, I'm not that kind of a person. I want my house, you know, my, one of my walls to be purple. I want one to be green because that's my personality. And you don't know who's going to be moving into your home. And so, you know, then all they're going to do is, you know, that, that $2,000 paint job you did on the house, they're just going to come in and repaint it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's not the color that they want to do. So then you're kicking yourself. You're like, man, I spent $2,000 on this, on this paint job. And they're just going to paint it anyway. Why did I spend the $2,000? So this is kind of how we, we evolved it, which is I want to make sure I'm going to give you a beautiful home from a perspective of uh, the structure, right? I want to make sure that the bones of the home are good, but I'm going to let you go in and change the baseboards. You want four inch baseboards versus the two that I wanted to put in there. Fantastic. You can put in the four inch baseboards because this is something that you're creating for yourself, for your home. You're building that sweat equity for yourself and your family for the long term. Yeah. So it's just a different way of thinking. Yeah. Tell us more about um, the types of residents that you attract and is the qualification process the same as for a tenant or how does that differ? That's actually an excellent question. So we attract individuals that really want to become homeowners and they've either been denied denied alone already or they've just started the process and they found our program and what we want to do is we want individuals that are really focused and really really um, dedicated to that desire to become a homeowner because this is the american dream is owning your own home and a lot of residents that we work with are typically going to be first-time homeowners Nobody in their family has ever owned a home. Their parents have never owned a home. They've always lived in an apartment. They've always lived in a rental. And now we're providing them a pathway in order to get them to home ownership. And so we actually have an ability and what we've done, what we started to do is about a year before the option expires, we're actually going back to the resident and saying, look, you know, I want to, I want to set you up for success. And, you know, I've noticed that you haven't contacted us about, about this ownership. Are you still interested in buying this home? And we'll have a very serious conversation about they say, oh, you know, we, we've got the money, but our credit's still screwed up. Great. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a list of mortgage 
brokers that actually deal with number one, first time homeowners. So they know all of the programs that you'll be able to qualify for. That's number one. Number two, because we're doing this a year in advance, they're going to be able to help you to get your credit score back up, right? If you've got a collection on there, if you've got a, a repossession or, or there's something on there that's affecting you from having a higher credit score, it's going to keep your interest rates lower. I want to help you to, to do that. So this is actually beneficial for our investor because now we've got a cash out situation that's going to happen, but also this is benefiting our resident because we're going to help them to get a lower payment on that home. And we're actually going to help them to achieve their dream of homeownership. Awesome. I love it. So not only are you making money for yourself and your investors, but also you're providing a wonderful opportunity for others that might not otherwise see it, know about it, or be able to take advantage of it. So Correct. give them that home ownership. The American dream. Call, I love it. Yep. And that's what we call a win-win-win. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's winning. I love it. Why don't you talk to us a little bit more about um, active versus passive investing? And you started out as an active investor, quote unquote, yeah. and, um, and then you transitioned. So tell us more about that. Well, you know, to be technical, we're still the active side of the investing. So what, what we do is we actually joint venture with our investors and we allow them to do direct investing, but be passive. And so we're doing 100% of the work and our investors still get the benefits of direct investing without having to do any of the work. And that's what they absolutely love about working with us. We work with flippers, we work with individuals that have never owned real estate, we work with individuals that have built large portfolios for themselves. They just don't want to be the landlord anymore. They wanna be able to go off and, you know, now that they have the cash flow, they wanna go off and they wanna be able to do things that they can do with now their time and their financial freedom, right? Um, so we are still the active investor and what that means is, you know, we are the ones that are actually going out and doing the acquisition, right? We're doing all of the marketing, the remarketing, we're doing all of the, we're managing all of the, all of the renovation for all of that. And I kind of forgot the first part of your question. I'm so sorry. Oh, active versus passive. Cause active I can think passive. when you were yes. in your early part of your investing journey, you realized it was a second job effectively? Yes, that is absolutely correct. So, um, you know, this is, this is usually the first conversation that I have with anybody that wants to work with me um, is, are you looking to be active or are you looking to be passive? And a majority of the time they say, no, no, I want to be active. Okay, great. So let's go down this road. <laughs> and I kind of start walking down this road, which is, okay, um, are you looking to create a second job for yourself? Well, no, I, I don't want a second. I've already got a job and I, I don't need a second one. Okay, great. Um, what I would suggest for anybody that wants to be an active real estate investor, talk to somebody in your network, talk to somebody that you know personally that is already doing it and ask them the amount of time that is required for you to actually do it. If you want to do this either part-time or full-time, you want to flip homes, you want to you know actively buy rental properties, you want to be a wholesaler, whatever you want to do in real estate, if you want to have that active designation, talk to somebody that's already doing it because there's a lot more work than people give it credit for. There's a lot of work that is involved. So if you are looking to do that, make sure that you really understand the implications that it's going to have in your personal life, your family time. You know, you're not going to be taking your kids to soccer practice on Saturday afternoon. You're not going to be, you know, you're, you're, you might be able to do it, but you're going to be sitting on the sidelines on the phone the entire time with your contractor, with your, you know, with your realtor, with somebody that's helping you to acquire or to rehab those homes, it's a very, very active lifestyle. 
and you need to really understand the implications of it before you go down that road. On the passive side, if this is something that you want to do passively, this is why companies like mine exist, is because we are here to help and assist because we have the expertise. Love it. Love it. And what is the name of your company, by the way? It is Grande AMA and Associates. So it's a, a parody of my of my last name. So my parents fortunately had all girls. And unfortunately, um, our last name will die with us. So we are the last Amagrandes. So it was a way for me to kind of allow my, um, my family heritage to continue on through us. Well, that's neat. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'd love to hear another story or two about deals. Um, yes. Maybe your worst deal ever and maybe the lessons learned from it. And I'm sure my entire team that listens to this is already, they've already got the one in mind. Um, this is a property we acquired um, a little over a year ago and it was a 1600 square foot home. Um, it was on three quarters of an acre and it was owned by a hoarder. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. So everybody's got that hoarder story. This is mine. Um, so this property and I'll, I'll kind of walk you through the numbers first. So we acquired the home for um, 135000 and we ended up putting in about $20,000 um, and that was the gross and I'll tell you why I'm going to talk about gross versus net. Um, what we originally did is um, I had a yard sale. So it's always the first place I start. We go through and we, uh, we walk through the home and anything that is valuable that we can sell, we, we have a yard sale and we invite all of the neighbors, we post it on Craigslist, we do everything and we just let people walk through the house and give us whatever they want to give. You, you, want the, you want the rocking chair? How much do you want to give me for it? $40? Fantastic. 20 bucks? Fantastic. So we allow everybody to take that stuff away for, um, for a price. So they're paying me to take the stuff out of the house. So nice. it's always the first place I start. So then we've now um, accumulated money that we can use toward the rehab, right? There was actually a dune buggy in the backyard and the, it had no motor in it. The guy across the street said, I've been trying to buy this thing for years. And I said, great, I'll sell it to you. And so we ended up, you know, bartering and he, you know, we'll, he literally, he and his son came over and they pushed it across the street and they paid me like $600 for it. Nice. I didn't have an engine. I'm like, that's perfectly fine. I didn't have to call anybody. He paid me 600 bucks. Thing was gone. So we ended up making money so that we could fund some of the rehab. Um, so after that, then what we do is we, um, I try to get as many tax benefits as possible. So we went through and we called all of the local charities because I'm, I'm really against throwing things away that don't need to be thrown away. Right. So we went through and we called all the local charities. We had them come and pick up furniture and, you know, bed frames and anything that they wanted, they could absolutely have. And then we get a tax write off for that. So now we've made money. I mean, we walk into the house for $135,000 and we've made money and we've also got tax benefits, right? Immediately. So then the rest of it, it took an additional uh, two dumpsters to get the rest of the house cleaned out. So then we were able to, you know, fund a lot of the rehab um, through, through that. So, I mean, it just, it's just a way of offsetting a lot of your costs. And so these are just a couple of creative things that we do that, I mean, we don't charge our clients to do any of anything additional for that. This is just what we do because this is, you know, ultimately we have an alignment of interest and I want to make sure that we're keeping our costs as low as possible. So that's, that's really what we do. Um, so that home, um, all in cost, I think was about 100 and, 153,000 or so, and we're getting 1585 on that particular home. So why does this one pop in your mind as the worst deal ever? Um, 
because of all of because it was the hoarder house. I mean, it was it was definitely difficult to get through that. Okay, I mean, so the numbers weren't bad. No, the numbers. No, I don't do anything when, where numbers are bad. The work turned into correct a nightmare. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And the reason that the numbers traditionally always work on our our homes is because we're very very specific as to what we buy and how we buy. So the reason that I still bought it, even though I knew it was a hoarder house and it was going to be a lot of extra work, is because of the dollar factor. Right, so we got it at such a discount that it made it made the numbers work. So even though we had to put in twenty, that we had to put in a new AC, um, the roof needed to be repaired, we needed you know plumbing. There was a lot of added cost that was associated with that home, but we knew that going into it. And so whenever we go and we look at homes, you know we have a seventeen point criteria, and they have to meet all seventeen. Every single asset has to be self-sustaining for itself, not as a portfolio. I'm not going to take some negative cash flowing properties and some that are really, really good. I only want the ones that are going to be able to sustain on a property by property basis. Hmm. So that's how we go into every single, every single asset that we acquire. Could you share um, a few of those points off your 17 point evaluation checklist? Yeah, absolutely. So you look for? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously the, um, the all in cost is one of the factors. Right. So I need to make sure that um, the differential between where our rents are going to be and the all in cost, we're making at least that one percent. Right. So okay. I want to make sure that that's that's always on the table. So when we are leveraging a property, let's just say we do a traditional 80-20 loan. Um, if we've got 20 percent of the initial as the initial investment going in, we need to hit a specific ROI. And that varies from market to market. So here in Phoenix, it'll be different than California, will be different than Tucson, will be different than a cash flow market in the, in the East Coast. So every single one, we have a very specific ROI that we're looking for. And if it doesn't hit that, it's not a good deal. So right. if in one of our markets, we're looking for a 10%, a 10% return, and it comes out at 9.9, we're going to seriously look at that deal and say, okay, well, does it have the equity that we're looking for? How much rehab does it actually need? What can we do? You know, so we go through this very, very diligently to make sure that every single property is going to be one that we would put into any one of our investors' portfolios. Wow, beautiful. Well, let's talk about our free download we're giving away this week. Yeah. Um, so Anne is giving you listeners the six criteria for long-term investing your CPA and financial planner never told you. So tell yeah. us like a little bit about what this um, free download is about. Well, I'd love to, but I kind of want you to read. And if I tell you everything, you're uh, not going to read it. Everything. Yeah. Don't tell us everything. <laughs> no, it just, just kind of goes into, um, you know, a lot of the benefits that some, some T CPAs don't know. So there are CPAs for every industry. And if you are going to be investing in real estate, your CPA may not have an in-depth knowledge of, of the specific implications of real estate which are usually good, you know, depreciation, appreciation. There were a lot of tax changes that happened this year and they happen in every industry every single year. And you need to make sure that these are going to be benefiting you specifically for your, your portfolio of real estate, but also for your financial situation as a whole. And so these are just a couple of things that, you know, that we want people to be educated on as you move into either being a passive or an active investor to make sure that you are maximizing the benefits of your real estate portfolio. Got it. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. As a former CPA, hey, there's CPAs that are that specialize in all kinds of things. I worked yeah. at one accounting firm that um, specialized in professional athlete tax preparation, and I worked at another firm 
that they did audits and reviews of like the food industry. So, I mean, just yeah. because someone says they're a CPA doesn't mean they have knowledge about real estate. So definitely Correct. listeners get this download and then make sure that you have a CPA that is um, a real estate specialist if you're deciding to go into real estate. It makes a big difference. Yeah, and we help all, all, all of our investors. We typically have a conversation with their CPA um, and we will actually walk them through um, what the, what that looks like from a real estate perspective. Um, cause a lot of, I've worked with a lot of individuals in the medical industry oh. and because they have, I mean, as we all know, real estate has tremendous benefits from a tax implication. And so we actually walk their CPAs through that. And the reason that, you know, most people in the medical community love real estate is because of those tax implications, right? It reduces yeah. your, it's going to reduce your, um, your financial li or your tax liability. Tax liability, yeah, right? definitely. So, you know, there's a lot of individuals. So we typically have a conversation with them. They talk with my CPA and, you know, we're all interconnected to make sure that they're maximizing what, what is available to them. Yep, love those write-offs for sure. Yes, absolutely. So tell our listeners um, where they can find you and your company and especially if they want to consider investing with you and working with you. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn at Anne Amagrande. Just type it into the search. Um, you can also find me on Facebook. I'll, you know, we'll definitely just send me a message. Let me know you heard me on your on the podcast. Um, you can also visit us at our website, which is www.amagrande.com. That's A-M-A-Grande.com. Or you can call me direct at 480-542-7772. Awesome. We got all of that and it will be in our show notes as well. Listeners, if you didn't catch it, just go to hardhatholly.com forward slash 128 or show 128 today. So hardhatholly.com forward slash 128. And additionally, if you're on your phone and you want to get this download as well as weekly reminders and our past downloads, you can sign up for our texting once a week reminder text list and you just text hard hat with no spaces between it to the number 38470. That's 38470. You text hard hat to 38470 and we'll give you this week's download and you'll have access to all the past ones and weekly updates of when we are publishing our weekly podcasts. Well, thank you so much, Anne. We really appreciate your time today. And what would be your final parting words of advice for people interested in making money in real estate? Um, the first thing that I always tell people is you have to have a plan, right? So figure out and put yourself in the place where you want to be in 10 years, 15 years. If you're, if it's on a beach with a Mai Tai or, you know, a, some rum colada, which beach is it? Is it in Australia? Is it in China? Is it on the, the Southern border of France? Where? So once you get that vision, what is it going to take to get you to that lifestyle, right? And is it a dollar amount? Is it a monthly cash flow? Which is really what it is for, should be for most people is what is the monthly cash flow that I need from my investment so that I can sit on the beach in the south of France with my Mai Tai. And so then start working your way back. How many properties do I need to, to get? What work do I need to diversify my investment so that I can get there? As you can tell, mine is the self of France with a Mai Tai. <laughs> not bad. Not bad. I love it. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for that. That's great. So listeners, you know, I tell you every week, get out there and take some action. So take some action, even if it's passive action with this week's <laughs> podcast. You want to decide whether you want to be active or passive and how to do it. Yep. Decide and move forward and definitely get yeah. in 
touch with Anne. Anne Amagrande, uh, her name once again, if you would like some advice and possibly learn about investing with her. Absolutely. So get out there and make it a great week, everybody. Thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening today. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our show and let us know in your review what you'd like to hear more of. For the show notes and free downloads for this episode and all others, go to hardhatholly.com.